Welcome to DLN Extend. We choose topics covered by the Destination Linux Network that, you know, sometimes get under our skin and need, need a little more discussion to, you know, maybe fix the conversation or extend it. These shows include Destination Linux, Ask Noah, Linux for Everyone, This Week in Linux, DOS Geek, Tux Digital, and Zebedee Boss Gaming. I'm Nate, a Linux fitness and vintage tech enthusiast with an almost unhealthy obsession with the OpenSUSE project. I think I need to cross out the almost part on that. Yeah, I think you could just say un- unhealthy. Just go all in. <laughs> and I'm Eric. So Nate, what have you been up to this week? I've been playing with Caden Live, and I've, I've learned a couple things. One, I'm not very good at video editing, but I'm getting there. And two, there's a lot more to that application than I know what to do with. But I will say, I've had really good experience playing with it. It's been very stable for me. I've, I've enjoyed, you know, um, I've been making like little silly videos, uh, some I haven't published yet. And uh, stuff with my kids. Actually, my kids have kind of enjoyed uh, seeing me play with that. And we recorded a, we recorded a video mm, two days ago on tearing apart a laptop screen that was broken. Obviously not a good one. I don't know. It's kind of like the, the home movies of old are kind of coming back. I just wish there was a filter, and maybe there is, where it can make it look like an old VHS recording. You know, I'm going to downsample it to like, you know, 480p or whatever and, and, and get some like tracking lines and maybe I see if I can like wash out the color a little bit. I don't know if those, those effects exist, but I really wish they did. <laughs> I think they do. Uh, I've seen them. I don't know if they're available for Caden Live as an MLT filter, but I know they exist. So they have to be out there somewhere, at least in some application. I, I would assume they're out there. I'm sure somebody's got it. It's something I've wanted to look at and try to, because I think it could be fun to do like a, just a VHS style video for, I don't know. <laughs> just for fun. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just literally for, for just nonsense fun, I think. You made a good point about Caden Live, and I'll say, I'll throw in a lot of different types of software. So just editing in general, video, audio, whatever it may be. You can learn the shortcuts. You can get the concepts. You can sit there and watch tutorials and read documentation until you actually sit down and actually really, really get into it and work on it. And and not just one time, but over time, you really don't understand it. You know, like when we last week, for example, when we looked at Darktable, there's obviously a lot of stuff in there that you can use to edit raw image files. Neither of us do that. We recognize right away that it would probably be kind of silly of us to even give an opinion on it other than to say, "Ooh, it's pretty or look at all these buttons we can click because none of it really makes (laughs) sense to us. And so we were never going to do it justice. So a lot of times when I see people do a cursory review of an editor application you're not getting a lot out of it simply because unless there's someone like wendy we recognized that having her on was going to be the right decision because she was going to be able to give us someone's you know a credible opinion of someone who uses it understands it on a very deep level and puts it to use for a very specific purpose so caden live definitely falls into that video other video editors as well so as you learn as you use it and you encounter new challenges or new things you want to do, like you're mentioning the VHS look, there that's how you really learn and how you really 
understand whether something works well for you or not. And, uh, you know, that, that learning curve is just something you can't magically erase. You, you just have to take right. the time it takes to learn it. This week I learned, or actually today I learned that you actually, you also use it for audio editing, which I sort of blew my mind for a minute whenever I was reading this post you made. And you know, like, yeah. I, I had never considered that. And, and the reason was, is years ago, I used to use a program called SawPro. And it was a, it was actually a Windows program that I used through Wine. On. It was a non-destructive audio editor. It had effects you could apply and all these things, but you could like create clips and move them around and, and assemble, crop them on, on one end or the other. And I was going to try and get that application again, but you know, try as I might, I couldn't find uh, a way I could use it legally. So I was actually editing uh, a different video and I found that, oh, Caden Live actually has all these different little features where I can do non-destructive you know, manipulation of clips. And so I, I can't very much, I gave it a try and I'm like, I like this more for this specific function than what I was doing with Audacity. And actually I was using Audacity back recording and, and doing like first pass manipulation of audio and then taking those audio clips that I applied some effects and whatnot to make it better. And then I, I, I imported those into Saw Pro historically. So now I'm kind of doing that exact same thing, except I'm importing them into Caden Live. And I, of course, I have these video tracks that I'm not using, but I have, as, I have as many audio tracks as I want. And so I have I think, three audio tracks. One is just for like kind of a, a bin, a holding bin of sorts of, of things I've ever cut. And then I, I just kind of drag and copy those to want. And it works really nice because if I drag something, it doesn't push anything else. You know, you know what I mean? Like it does, I, can, I can stick a track in there, clip of a track, or lay that. Anyway, it works really well for me because then I can... I can uh, crop them on either side or truncate them. I don't know what the term is. And then I can very quickly get to what I want. And specifically, it's for my echo chamber podcast that I have that I, where I just talk and talk. And the, the intro part can vary in length. So I just literally just kind of cropped the length that I want because I can just extend it out and then, and then it's done. So I don't have to recut it or edit a very quick uh, process. And that's why I use that. And it, it, it works well for me because it's you know, it's what I did historically, and so now just kind of a, a carryover, a, a rehash, a rinse and repeat of sorts from my uh, production past, I guess you could say. I know some editors, video editors, only let you export in video formats. Does Caden Live let you then export in an audio format? It sure does. That was the last piece that I needed, and when I saw that you could do that, then I was pretty much sold. So, Eric, what have you been up to? Well, I've had a busy week. You got back to it with posting every day on cubiclenate.com. You know, I took a break over the holidays from putting out any content on YouTube. I put out a couple of blog posts on Big Daddy Linux and done some things, but more or less just took a few weeks off. And so I came back at it with some YouTube videos. Manjaro 19 has some preview editions out, one for GNOME, one for KDE. I'm trying to keep these really quick videos, really just kind of what's different. You know, I think everybody's pretty much in tune with what a distro is at this point. I don't need to make a 45-minute distro review video on everything. I just kind of make it a five-minute, hey, here's what's new, here's what's cool to me. It seems like people like those have been viewed pretty well and lots of likes and all that good stuff. So it's encouraging. I also did one on the Endeavor OS Net Installer and one on App Image Launcher, which is a tool for integrating app images into your system instead of having them just be executable files that you kind of have to keep somewhere and then go and find to launch. Uh, some of them do ask to integrate when you run them, but a lot of them don't. Most of them don't. Yeah, they, it just they're just disconnected. You know, it's not a great experience. Bitwarden is the only one that have that I've experienced that actually does the integration for you. 
none of the rest have for me. I use Joplin, the note-taking app, and, and it does as well. So there, there are some. But yeah, Belina Etcher, most of the video editors, if you download those as app images, just a lot of the, the a lot of the apps you download as app images don't ever ask to integrate. And integration really just means adding a desktop file in your local uh, share directory so that your menu picks it up, your system picks it up. Whenever you you know go to open a file, it becomes a choice that you can have to open that file with. Whenever you don't do that, app images are just, they're, they're just out there as a file and they don't have that level of integration. And so App Image Launcher gives you this nice integration where it, no matter if the app image itself is set up to prompt you, it's going to do that for you. And then it also will move them to a central folder for you because if you're not diligent about where you're putting them, you might forget where they are. And so this just does a nice job of cleaning all that up. Also gives you ways to remove them from your system by right-clicking on the icon in your menu, updating. Some app images have the ability to update. So it's just, it's a really neat way to handle app images and make them much more useful and integrated with your system. When I mentioned it on Biddle, I believe it was, everyone sort of went, oh, I, I never heard of that. So I've been using it for a while and just never occurred to me to make a video on it. That encouraged me to do that and had pretty good reception for that as well. I personally really enjoyed that video and I missed it when you talked about it on Biddle because I wasn't there for the show. And I did a write-up on it. And when I was playing around with it, and I don't remember if you covered it in your video or not, but I thought that was really neat is if you download an app image, after you install App Image Launcher, you download an app image in Firefox, that's all I tested, it will automatically bring that up so you can you can immediately have it organize your app image and it automatically makes it executable and everything for you. So app images are just a whiz-bang pop, you're done, and you can use it now. So you just You download it, it's ready to go. That's it. There's no more faffing about. It just it's ready to go. And to me, I'm just like, wow. It was a total game changer for me in using app images from this point forward. So I want to thank you for making that video. That was a huge game changer for me and the applications I work with now. And what's funny to me, because I'm looking, I'm actually on your, I'm on your uh, uh, YouTube page right now. Of of all the videos you've done in the last several weeks, the ones that I enjoy the most don't have the highest views. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> that's been my experience on YouTube, really. I, I come up with something that's like a cool app or a, a fix for something that's been driving me crazy. And I think, oh, this is fantastic, you know, and I put it out there and, and, and not that I get a poor response because the people that do watch it appreciate it and give me good feedback. It's just, it doesn't. And, and I guess it's just because it's an obscure topic. And whenever people are either looking at YouTube or searching on YouTube, like if they don't search specifically for that thing, they'll never find it. And it's all the YouTube algorithm and all that stuff. So I try to put it out there on Twitter and other places and just make sure people know it's out there. But you know, it is what it is. And I, I'm never disappointed. It's it's fine. I, I like a video. I like it whether anyone else does. And that's what makes me happy. I mean, if I get a few people that like you're saying here that it helped them, you know, do something interesting or better on their system, then it's always worth it to me to do that. The last thing I did this week was searching for the ideal workstation distro and desktop environment for this workstation, that Ryzen workstation I built. So I thought the best way to find the answer to that when I was searching, I'll go to the DLN discourse forum and post that question and see what, what kind of feedback folks have for me. And so we had a great discussion on there and had a bunch of feedback, lots of different ideas, obviously a lot of like do an LTS or a stable release, you should do XFCE or a lightweight desktop. And I promptly ignored all of that advice, except for someone who came in and said, maybe you should try OpenSUSE. Well, who told you to do that? Well, no, I, you weren't the only one. <laughs> 
you were not the only one. I will say that. So I will, I will give credit where credit is due. There was more than one person that said you should try OpenSUSE. So uh, ethanol was one that said that besides me. Yes. Yes. So thank you, ethanol. So I put OpenSUSE on there. And, and now ethanol said you should try Leap because that's probably the better option for a more stable experience, less updates, less churn, that sort of thing. But I thought, you know what, let me just try Tumbleweed because then that's going to give me the most up-to-date packages and I won't have to worry about flat packs or OpenSUSE software, like getting external software, like the stuff I need should just be in the repositories by and large. And thus far, it's been great. I have had issues with OpenSUSE on my laptop with some of the hybrid graphics stuff, and even that hasn't been that big of a deal. But for some reason, it just never seems to run as well on this Dell laptop. But on that Ryzen system, it runs very, very well. And all of the NVIDIA stuff works great. Hardware acceleration and all of that is good. It seems to take full use of the system resources. And I'm running Plasma on top of it. And that's nice and lightweight nowadays. It's been a really great experience thus far. I'm using um, Tumbleweed CLI, which does the snapshots. And it's probably overkill, but I figure it allows me to check the snapshot quality. So we're probably digging a little deep into the OpenSUSE world right now that folks may not be aware of. But the way Tumbleweed is put out, there are snapshots that you can go online and actually look at the reports, bug reports and things that have been filed against it. And they give it a quality score based on that. So then this Tumbleweed CLI lets you actually switch to a different snapshot and you can switch between them. So you can actually update to a newer snapshot, run that. And if you have problems, you can switch back. And then of course, underneath all of that is ButterFS and Snapper. So if something went really crazy, then I could always just snap back, you know, using ButterFS to a known good state and be fine. So all that to say that I think I'm finally seeing some of the magic of OpenSUSE that I just hadn't been seeing, particularly on my laptop. It's been really great. And I know you're so surprised to hear all of this. Well, not really. I mean, because it's kind of what I've been saying for, you know, a little while now. But, um, but I'm, you know, I'm glad it's working out for you. The reality is there are a lot of great distributions and finding the one that fits your needs. That's the ideal distribution. As much as OpenSUSE seems to fit my needs, I realize it's not everybody. I have, I'm a certain case. I'm a a case study. You know, for you, if it, if it does, all of a sudden doesn't fit your needs anymore, the way it goes. So, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I did add a link. There should be a link in the show notes. I think we should put that in there, the Tumbleweed Reviewer. But it's, it's really neat to see because, you know, in there, like, uh, um, there's a pending score of something, and that means that basically they're still pulling in reports. They're still considering reports for the the final score. And so if you're if you stay a couple snapshots behind, like 2020.0107 is a stable 97, and so you can actually go and dig into that. What what were the reasons why that didn't score a perfect 99? It only goes up to 99, I guess. I've never seen 100 anyway. And so you can actually dig into those reports and and see what the issues were, and also the mail announcement too. You can see what the packages were that that actually came down, so you can actually watch what versions are coming. So if you know there's a problem with like Mesa version 19.3.1, you can delay and and wait till 19.3.2 or whatever. I mean, it's a little extra work. I have used this before when there were some kernel issues with the version 5 kernel with the the Intel onboard graphics. There was an issue with that and the VGA output, for whatever reason. So I I held back my future snapshots with that until um, until that was worked out. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty handy. Well, that's the interesting thing to me. So it is rolling 
obviously, and you're getting the latest builds of packages, but because they have these snapshots and they're being rated, you can watch for what's being changed in any given snapshot and then decide when you want to update. The packages are there and you could just, you know, zippered up and be done with it every day if you want. But ultimately, there's a, a measure of control there that isn't there in other rolling release distros. And so I think that's something that I'm just now really understanding and appreciating for what it is. It's sort of the best of everything in that regard. So last week on DLN Extend, you had Wendy Hill talk about Darktable. That was such a great interview. I mean, I, I learned more about Darktable and that, what, was she on for 20 minutes or so? Then I think that I, then I've, I've ever known about Darktable. I mean, I didn't realize how much you can do with that application. And there's no way that you and I would have given that any level of justice. <laughs> so that was such a great interview and, and there's been such a, a lot of great community feedback on that as well. And so yeah, that was, that was really awesome. It was great. And I appreciate that she was able to do that for us because, like you said, we just would have never been able to do it justice. We could have certainly said, hey, it's out. There's a new version. But just having her come on and explain it. And now I understand what it is. I I don't, I'm not a photographer. I don't shoot raw photos, but I understand the benefit of doing so now. And if I ever wanted to take it seriously, knowing that this tool is out there and just freely available to me is one of those open source success stories. I have no involvement in that project whatsoever, but the fact that it's something that we could highlight and and bring someone on and do justice to makes me happy that we're able to do that. Yeah, for sure. So this week on Destination Linux, there was uh, some community feedback talking about the elitism in Linux, like uh, also known as Linux snobbery, like example, by the way, I use Arch. Now, they, they did talk a lot on this on this subject, a little more than I think we should talk on it. I kind of think that there's there are two sides of this coin. One, I agree, uh, there shouldn't be elitism, but at the same time... I think that there, you know, there are memes and ribbings that I think are kind of fun. You know, like when, you know, I'm not a fan of Arch. I, I don't see the value in Arch. Other people do see the value in Arch. And, and so I like to rib it a little bit, not for elitism purposes, but just because, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with something on a point. Like I don't agree with how they, like their their process for managing their their updates to me is a lot messier than, than like we'd have an OpenSUSE tumbleweed. However, they are more on the bleeding edge they do have that going for them, but you know, at what price? One should not think one is better for what they use or run. I, I don't like that aspect of it. But to question somebody else's choices or to question a technology for the, the merits of the technology, I think that should be done. And I don't think that's snobbery. But I kind of got the feeling that maybe some people feel like that is, but I don't really agree with that side of it. You know, and also you got a joke. You can't take nothing too seriously too. You know, for instance, like Noah, he's really wrong about ZFS. Ha ha. Uh, he doesn't, um, you know, he, he, he doesn't like ButterFS. He thinks it's garbage. Now that's his opinion because he's had a bad experience with it. Although it's completely wrong and doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, cause you know, if you, if you use it wrong, don't hold a knife by the blade side, hold it by the handle side. So it's, I guess it's an example of you're holding it wrong, but on the ButterFS site, they say, don't use these features. These are not ready. And I don't know if maybe he had used those features that weren't ready or that had problems. I don't know. But if you use the features that are supported and are ready to be used, like RAID 10 or I think 01 is also fine too. I'm sure it is. Just 
they don't they say basically you can use any of the features just don't use five and six okay fine if you use what's recommended it works fine but he had such a bad experience with it apparently that you know he just kind of sticks with it and 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 so forth i don't think that's snobbery or elitism you know he likes his zfs he likes his uh you know ad hoc file system that's not really part of the kernel that linus is in favor of so yeah what are your thoughts on that the idea of snobbery is a couple things. One is some of it is inside joking and maybe to an outsider, you don't, you can't differentiate between people who are honestly saying things like, by the way, I use Arch and mean it. And people who, I mean, that's just such a, like a silly meme almost kind of thing at this point where it's, you can't say I use Arch without someone going, oh, by the way, you use Arch. You know, it's just, right. it's a yeah. silly joke now. I think that level of snobbery is is kind of joking and silly. But there's definitely a contingent of Linux users who are quite happy with the status quo of being difficult for outsiders to penetrate some of these communities or to start using Linux because there's a certain level of technical acumen expected out of users in a lot of cases with Linux. And so they see that as a barrier and a differentiator. And it's a barrier that they like having because it, I don't know, it makes them feel better about their choices or superior in some way. And so that definitely transgresses into the snobbery category. And I don't necessarily begrudge those people if they hold those opinions and that's just how they see the world. I guess the part that bothers me and it bothers a lot of other people is when they feel the need to belittle other people to make it difficult intentionally for people to learn or transition to try new things, to dissuade people in general from branching out, learning new things. So that part of the snobbery aspect is definitely, I think, toxic and is not really helping anyone. Even the people that don't necessarily want to see mass adoption of Linux because they're afraid it's going to, I guess, water things down. I, I'm not exactly sure what the actual motivations behind these people are, but I think it's a little counterproductive because you're dissuading people who might otherwise be really it might come in and do great things. They might have contributions that they can make, and maybe they have different opinions or different outlooks, different viewpoints, things that they can bring that would benefit everyone in general. And so by making it more difficult for those people to experience it themselves, I think a lot of it is just like a lot of things in life. You just have people who are in clubs. They want to be in that club. They think the other people who aren't in that club are in some way less. Linux is a, maybe a microcosm of that because it's so technical, because it's so nerdy. I mean, let's face it, we're already separated from the greater population just by being technologically minded and try to have a conversation about any kind of technology, let alone Linux with just random, you know, non-technical people. They have little to no interest and generally will tune you out very quickly. And so you've now subdivided that even further into Linux and non-Linux. Here's my opinion about if there's a Linux, a Linux community that, or an open source community, whatever, any community, and the people are jerks, go to a different community. I mean, that's, that's one of the beauties of the open source model and all these different various communities is that some are just less hospitable. Well, don't hang out there. Then that community can go ahead and die. That's, that's how, I feel, how I view it. Or they'll be their elite whatever. They'll think that they're all, all that in a bag of chips and do whatever they do. But they're not going to have mass adoption. They're not going to be the mainstream. They're not going to be the community that thrives. And all these things over the long term will just work themselves out. I like the open source community. I would say there are a few abrasive people in there. I don't think they mean to be abrasive. 
I like them. I think they're funny. They're just, they're just very passionate is how I view it. But they're really nice and really helpful people. You know, you have a problem. They're not going to tell you to read the manual. They're not going to just say it's in the wiki. They're actually going to help guide you through whatever the problem is or help you clarify your question or help you write a bug report. And, and I know that because I'm one of them. You know, there are a lot of great communities. You know, the MX Linux community, they're really great. The Peppermint community, they're really great. The Ubuntu community, everyone I met has been pretty great. But that's a huge community, so, and I've not met everybody. The impressions I have, there are all these really awesome people in these different communities. So if you find one that's just, you know, you don't like, go someplace else, you know? When I go to a restaurant, if I don't like the, if I don't like the wait staff, if they're not friendly, I just don't come back. In defense of people who maybe are less accepting or less tolerant, from time to time, I do see people come in who really have an expectation that folks are going to do everything for them and that they themselves don't really have to learn. If anyone's listening to this that's new to Linux and has experienced maybe some pushback whenever they're asking questions, it behooves you to take a little bit of time to try to solve your own problems. It's not necessarily written or spoken, but I think there is a general understanding by most Linux users that you're not on the beaten path in a lot of cases. I mean, if you wanted to just use a computer and never do anything challenging on it, then you would just use Windows or you would just use Mac and you would just accept what was given to you and do do things the way that they were laid out and move on with your life. There's an understanding that if you're going to try something different, that there will be at least a bit of a learning curve. You're going to have to take a little bit of time to understand the differences. I contend that running a system, a computer with Linux is entirely 100% easier than running any proprietary operating system. People can challenge me on that if they'd like. I, I have a long track record of supporting Windows, Mac, and Linux, and the ability for me to very quickly figure out something on a Linux system and fix it is much easier than doing that on Windows or Mac. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. I, I totally agree. Because Linux will present what the problem is for the most part. Windows and Mac, they obfuscate what the actual problem is. At least that's been my experience. What I'm getting at is that there is a certain level of expectation, I think, by the majority of people who use Linux that you do have to spend at least some amount of time understanding the differences between what you're used to using and what you're now trying to use and be willing to take a little bit of time and effort to discover things and do some troubleshooting on your own before you just come and start asking very what seemed at least to people who use Linux, very obvious questions. I don't think someone should ever be hostile toward you because of that. But no. don't be surprised if they say, did you bother searching the forum? Did you look on Google? Did you try something to solve your issue? Or are you just coming to us expecting you to fix it for you? Because I think a lot of people are not going to respond well to that in a lot of cases if it seems like, for lack of a better word, you're just being lazy. I understand there are a lot of people who just don't understand technology, who don't understand computers and fundamentally how they work and how software works and all that stuff, and then let alone how it works differently between different operating systems. But a lot of this information is out there, especially for new users who are trying to solve very common problems. You know, you can give a man a fish or teach a man a fish kind of mentality. And, and I'm much more into the teaching someone a fish because I feel like once they get those lessons under their belt, that they become more proficient and then they can you know, really understand their system and get more out of it. But, you know, if we expect larger adoption of Linux by the masses, then there are going to be a lot of people who just don't have the technical acumen to figure things out. And that's like you said, there are communities out there that are positioning themselves specifically towards that type of user. Hopefully those people can find those communities.
another topic that came up on Destination Linux this week was the idea about KDE Plasma settings, backing them up and deploying them. And the guys had a little bit of a challenge with discussing this and, and basically came to the conclusion that it didn't seem to be particularly easy to do those things. And it turns out that Nate actually was able to find, or maybe already knew about a way to do this. So Nate, what did you find? Well, in my time of tweaking an OpenSUSE theme that is just the way I want it, and there is a Plasma SDK, this is what you use to update to create a look and feel package. Now, look and feel package is the whole kit and caboodle. So it can be the the, um, the Plasma theme, the positions of the, ty- of the toolbars, the menu, your entire setup, you can basically turn into a look and feel package and publish it. So they have a, an SDK that you can do those things. And I know that because when I, when, I, when, uh, when I was listening to the episode, I'm... I'm raising my hand like I'm in in class. I'm like, and of course I missed the live recording. I'm like, uh, but um, but um, but you you missed. No, there's a there's an SDK. There's an SDK. But anyway, so yeah, there's an SDK. You can uh, install that. Uh, your distribution should have it. I think for uh, OpenSUSE, it's Plasma Five SDK. I believe what it is what it's called. So on this last episode of Destination Linux, they, they had a kind of a, a hopes and dreams segment that Ryan, Michael, and Zeb, oh, and Noah, can't forget Noah, that what they talked about, what their hopes and dreams were for 2020. Now, we could rehash all that, but I would rather ask you, Eric, what are some of your hopes and dreams in open source or Linux or whatever, or your computer life, computering life, Linuxing life, whatever, that, that you would like to have come true in 2020? Well, I know we said we didn't want to rehash, but I, I will repeat one thing that Ryan mentioned, and he had mentioned wanting Linux on his portable devices. And I am very much ready to have Linux on my smartphone and absolutely ready to have it on my tablet. Smartphone, I understand it's going to take a while. There's a lot of proprietary stuff that goes on there that enables categories of apps, banking apps, certain apps that rely on the security and signing. And so sort of the underlying architecture of the mobile operating system. And so I get that that's probably going to take a little longer. And can I realistically expect that to be mature in 2020? Not really. We're just now seeing seeing those handsets come on the market. And I think PinePhone is going to have a huge impact on that ecosystem and make it so that UbiPorts and Plasma Touch and Sailfish and some of these other OSs are, are going to find a, a good home to really then start to polish and iterate and, and add in features that a wider user base is going to start requesting. So I have hope that there will be a lot of progress made, but I don't necessarily see that as being a uh, mature thing in 2020. Although I do see the tablets, I think at least, the current crop of offerings are mature enough. The problem is in a lot of cases, the Android tablets are so locked down and it's an uphill battle. So I'm really hoping something like the Pine Tab, when it comes out, will be able to run these really great Linux alternatives that are out there. And that by the end of 2020, I have a really solid choice for a tablet operating system that's Linux-based that lets me do you know, all of the great Linuxy things in that form factor. 2020, I just see this as being the year where we can finally get a good tablet that does all the things I need it to do and probably more than I've ever been able to do on Android and iOS. I mean, I use my smartphone just because everybody does and it's just that piece of technology that's somewhat indispensable 
communication at least. But for, you know, if I'm not sitting on my laptop, I want to be able to grab a tablet, consume media, web, do web browsing, you know, basic stuff. I don't need proprietary apps necessarily like banking apps and stuff that is going to necessarily be difficult to port over or get running. I really just need a simple Linux environment with a good web browser, a file manager, just the basics to get up and running and to have a good Linux experience that I have on my PCs. And there's just something so appealing about that. Well, I'm going to have to echo you and Ryan on the uh, mobile or portable devices, the tablet mobile form factors, and for the exact same reasons. And for me, the, the thing that I would like to have is that tablet with really good KDE Connect integration so I can just have it there ready to manipulate my media server, whichever one, so I can you know use my MB or Plex or Jellyfin, whichever, to, uh, to play movies on. And then I can switch and do other things off of that, you know, look up stuff about whatever show or movie it is that I'm watching, you know, when I'm, when I'm actually doing something like relaxing, which doesn't happen very often, but you know, those, those 15 or 30 minutes per week that I do sit on the couch and actually watch something. I'm kidding. It's not that little, but, um, I'd like to, I'd like to have that be like a really good integrated multimedia experience that is not Android or iOS based that is going off into, uh, out into space and back to go talk to some cloud someplace. So that's what I'd like also. And then the, um, you know, for me in the, in the industry I'm in, in the manufacturing industry, there's so many aspects where Linux is just it is the tool that's being used like for finite element analysis and doing um you know these these really big computational type uh workloads where they're having to you know share compute time and whatnot i mean linux is what's being used and you see it in sap and 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 a lot of other you know really big things but what i'd like to see is like autodesk and i've said this before but autodesk with fusion 360 and their vred to directly support linux now they do support linux something called maya or maya i think it's called and they actually have a, a client for linux so it's not like they they aren't doing it at all they they are but there's other applications they're not doing yet and then uh, PTC, their Creo parametric modeler, and some of their analysis with their analysis features and assembly modeling, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'd like to see them actually support Linux again. They did at one time, and they do for their you know, their compute modules that are you know that that run in the the backends. Those are running Linux, but the clients are not. And it just seems like you know why why aren't you doing that? You know, they uh, it's really weird to me that like Autodesk with Fusion 360, they'll support Mac, but the reality is, you, I mean, you don't see engineers with Macs most of the time. It's very rare you'll see them using Linux more often than you'll see them using Macs. And so I just, I don't get that part of it. The other thing is uh, like the ESI group, they have this this application called ICIDO. It's for virtualization. Like, like, like you build in a virtual environment, it has physics and gravity. It has all these, all the things. So you can actually test in you know, with like the VR goggles and everything, an assembly aligned process and take analytics for how somebody bends over and does these uh, these different activities. I would like to see them support Linux. Now, the uh, the sales guy that was that I de- dealt with, the, the, the representative that I dealt with, he told me they actually have it running in Linux in the background, in the, in the back room. They test it, every version they test it in Linux. They just don't release that version to be used. And I'm just like, you know, it's like they're, they're all right here, right on the cusp. All you have to do is just turn that little switch and we can do it and they don't do it and i I don't know what the hang-up is but there's all these different little things that i just don't understand it they they could and then that would just at least in my industry anyway where where i where i live my work life that would just open up the floodgates of being able to use linux in the workplace and kind of like bring the shackles that i've I've dealt with you know all this time so that's my hope and dream that that they just flip that switch and i think that it, it could happen that might be a dream but yeah but it's it's so close 
this might be a, a bit of a stretch, but we keep coming back, not in this conversation specifically or even this episode, but to the idea of making the most out of hardware and in most cases, at least, and certainly on the server side, you see this where Linux has gained so much adoption and some a lot of that is just because there's so little overhead running Linux itself and then having the applications running on top of Linux. So the idea that you would have these powerful workstations that you're paying many thousands of dollars for that have this high-end hardware in it and then having Linux as the base for these applications, that just makes sense. And also another potential stretch is the idea of how we've seen gaming adoption really rapidly increase through some of the technologies on Linux and how in a lot of cases you actually see that games that were designed to run on Windows run better on Linux. That's probably no small part to my first point of making better utilization of the hardware. And so you can kind of see these stepping stones of as these use cases prove out that Linux is the better platform for getting the most out of your hardware, being a stable system underneath, you have control over what's running and how it's being updated and maintained, and now deploying these applications on top of it ultimately results in a better experience. You can kind of see how we're making progress towards this, where it becomes less of an issue of, well, there's such a small market share. Because market share in these industries isn't really about the larger desktop adoption or desktop market share. It's about what tools work best for those industries. And I think you're seeing that in content production, video editing, audio editing. You're starting to see much more penetration, you know, rendering, all of those things are happening on Linux anyway. And so extending that forward and putting it in front of the users themselves becomes sort of a next logical progression of that. And so I don't think that any of the things you mentioned, all of that seems pretty straightforward. It's just kind of getting over that hurdle. And when you say that a company has already built something that they know runs on Linux. In a lot of cases, I think the reason they may not be you know, rushing that out the door is that there's a lot of things that have to be in place before they do that. They have to have pe- teams of people that can support it, can sell it properly, they can t- speak to it. That you know, they, There's a whole corporate shift that kind of has to happen. And so it's not just as simple as saying it works. You know, there's there's more to it than that. So, you know, hopefully that- The support side. Yeah, of right. And across the organization, how do we handle these things from all the different departmental views? But those things I think are coming. Maybe it'll be a 2020 thing, but I certainly think it's sooner rather than later that we start to see more and more of that happen. And that companies just come to the conclusion that, like you said, like we're putting the time and effort into doing this for Macs. The entry point to get a high-end Mac system that's going to run this well, knowing that Macs, even those high-end systems, you're very limited in the choices you have for the GPUs that you run, the CPUs that you run. You know, Linux unlocks all of that. You can spec out a workstation that can be anything. And you can choose, again, the environment. You pick the distro, you pick the version of the distro, you pick the kernel, you pick the libraries, the dependencies, all that stuff is there are so many different flexible options for them the return on investment and the value you get for that hardware becomes so compelling that it's you can't ignore it anymore and maybe that's just me and me that's coming from me too <laughs> it's just it's so close it's like it's just on the cusp it's like right before you know right before a, a levy breaks you know i have like a little trickling coming through and then that that wears that groove in and then all of a sudden it just you know busts open and uh, i i feel like we're kind of right there but then i think you know when, when it happens then what are we going to talk about oh we'll have <laughs> lots to talk about don't worry it's 
So we have a bit of an announcement this week to make. There's actually a new podcast coming out from the Destination Linux Network, and it's called Hardware Addicts. And I'm guessing you can probably figure out what it's about, but it's going to be about all things Linux hardware and just hardware in general, things that run Linux. So there'll be single board computers. There'll be lots of AMD things, I'm sure, because Ryan's involved. It's great for me, particularly, because I've kind of lost touch in a lot of ways with hardware. I mean, I do get new hardware, different hardware from time to time, but I don't keep in touch with it the way that I'd like to. So having other people do that for me and having it be Linux-based obviously is is also appealing. So look for Hardware Addicts coming out from what I understand sometime this upcoming week. I'm sure it will be an excellent show. We did hear a preview of it and it was very good. I think you will really enjoy it. I'd like to continue the discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and also on shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. More information on where to find us. The easiest way to find me is on the Destination Linux Network. If you go to the creator section, you'll see me there. You go to my page, got all of my links for social media and different places that I like to hang out. And something that Nate and I talked about earlier in the show, although I'm not sure we recorded it, we are really enjoying (laughs) the Destination Linux Network discourse forum right now. Um, We actually mentioned the fact that we tend to go there now maybe more so than other places that we had in the past. And there have been some really great discussions. We pick one topic here on the show, but really in any given week, there's just so much happening. There are so many people from different backgrounds and really just great, great stuff happening on the DLN Discourse Forum. So if you haven't checked it out, please do. There's something there for everyone. There's a lot to learn, for sure. I mean, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to discuss. It's it's fun things. It's serious things. It's very technical things. It's you know help desks things like how do I do this? And I posted my question about what's a good distro and desktop environment for a workstation. Just all of that kind of stuff is happening there. So definitely worth checking that out if you haven't. So Nate, where can we find out more about you? Well, you can go to the destinationlinux.network page under the creator section. I'm also on the Destination Linux discourse. I like to spend my time there. It's it's a nice uh, a nice break like from work when you when you have to like clear your head from whatever it is you're working on. It's a nice place to go to visit and and you know read something new that's been posted or or, or an existing discussion. But also you can go to cubiclenate.com. The links to my my regular nonsense, my blatherings, my uh, echo chamber podcast, and a link to my YouTube channel there as well. And as always, we thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us. We'll be back again next week with another episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Take care, everyone. See you.